Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to start tonight, looking at the parable of the lost, and then you can fill in the blank. Luke 15, as you know, has got three different analogies there of, of things that were lost, and some go as far as to say four, if you count the father, I suppose, or the older son, if you want to go five. There's a lot of different ways you can look at Luke chapter 15, but tonight we're looking as an overall theme of seeking and saving the lost, and the fact that the Son of Man came to do just that. And so, as you begin looking through Luke 15, I want to ask you, can you relate to what you read in Luke 15? When you read that passage, have you always just kind of read it and glossed over it and you get to the last part where the prodigal son finally comes home and there's rejoicing and there's the fatted calf and then there's the, the angry sibling that, that doesn't understand why such a big deal is being made about this lost brother that came back home and why these things had never been done for, for him? Or do you take time to stop and to, to insert yourself into the story? Because the scripture reading we read tonight talks about an argument, a discussion that took place about who's the greatest. And I'm afraid sometimes that we as Christians can fall into the trap of, of how, how great we are uh, to be Christians. We've really done a lot for Christ, um, us following Him and all. We've really done something here. And we lose sight of the fact of what we actually are without Christ. Of what we actually are without someone coming to seek us out and to save us. And so as you look through Luke 15, I'm not going to read to you tonight, you can do that. But as you look through Luke 15, where do you relate? Where do you see yourself? The first seven verses, Luke 15, 1 through 7, is the parable of the lost sheep. And in this parable, you know that the, the shepherd goes back at the end of the night and he counts and he's supposed to have 100 sheep there. And he's got the 99 and there's one that's not there. And of course, all of this, this, this chapter, all of this parable, all of this explanation that Jesus gives in response to verse 2, when the tax collectors and the sinners drew near and the Pharisees and the scribes, they complained and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and the Pharisees were complaining because Jesus is eating with those that are lost, and so he starts into this parable to talk about the one lost sheep. When you read Luke 15, do you relate with the, the sheep? What if you are that sheep that's lost? Would you not be afraid? Would you not know that you needed someone to come and, and save you? Would you not want to, to long to hear the voice of your shepherd to come and to lead you back? The second parable that's listed, verses 8 through 10, is the lost coin. And you know there's a lady that lost the coin. She, she, she looks high and low. She's sweeping the house and she's trying to find the one coin that's lost. Heard a fellow speaking on the parable one night, and he brought up the point that this coin didn't know that it was lost. It didn't know that it needed to be found. It didn't know that someone was looking for it, but the owner of the coin, the lady, knew that she lost the coin, and she sought it, and she turned the house upside down, as perhaps you might have done um, right before Christmas. <laughs> you ever gone searching for the present you can't find? <laughs> You've hidden it well enough that it's, it's nowhere to be found. I remember distinctly being a young child at Sedalia and Coke break. Y'all don't get Coke breaks anymore, kids. But Coke break Friday, it was a mad rush to Sedalia at the old school. Leslie, you've never seen it inside of the old school. But the drink machines were set up on the gym stage. And there were the two vending machines had the whatchamacallits in there. Those are the best candy bars. You've never had one. But it had the whatchamacallits and the Reese's peanut butter cups. And, and all that was fine. But the highlight of the week was the Coke that you bought at Coke break. It just tasted different. Y'all remember it too, don't you? 
and you had to have the coins. They weren't dollars back then. It was in a can, and it was 50 cents, maybe 35, but you had to have the right coins, and the kids would have the right coins, and if it was 35 cents, you needed that quarter, you needed that dime, and, and if you dropped one of the two, <laughs> what do you think those kids would do? What do you think I did? Oh, well, no Coke break today. Back to No. I've seen janitors called in before, <laughs> rocking vending machines, trying to get them back far enough so a little hand could go underneath it to fish out the quarter or the dime. I've seen kids at, at basketball games back when I was in elementary school and the junior high team would be playing, walking around to every drink machine. Remember when it used to give you change? And every now and then, if you were lucky, you'd press that coin return button and a coin might appear. You do that twice and you've got a free pop. And it was like Christmas. All because of a, of a coin. Now, as a third grader at Sedalia, or second, or fourth, or fifth, or whatever, when I found out that every now and then there was money that was lost <laughs> that needed a home over there around those drink machines, mom being a teacher, I had some extra time at school every afternoon. It became an afternoon routine to walk by those drink machines and just see if anybody lost some Coke break money. You'd be surprised. There were some lost coins that needed saving, <laughs> and I, I was never ashamed to save them. I would find those coins and put them to good use. Church as adults, as Christians, do we have that same fervor looking for lost souls? Going about looking to see where we might be able to find a lost soul, someone that needs the gospel, someone that I might could be able through without much effort to reach out to and to tell them about Jesus or invite them to church or to help them out the way that I, the way that I sought after those coins to buy my Coke. We're talking about souls, not a pop at Coke break, but a soul that's going to be facing the judgment someday to spend an eternity in heaven or hell. This coin here in these verses had no idea that it was lost until the lady found it. And there was great rejoicing. Do you see yourself as the, the coin? Or do you see yourself perhaps as the lady who's seeking after the one that's lost? And then, of course, in the last several verses, 11 through 24, we have the lost son. You have the father that was there waiting, looking uh, for the son, hopefully to someday come home. And I don't know, maybe that's reading too much in the parable. I, you know, if you think that it is, I apologize. I don't think that it is. The parable says that he saw him from afar off. I, I just can't help but think that that was more than just chance or just coincidence that the dad looked up and just so happened that at the moment the father looked up, the son just so happened to be strolling up the drive. I, I just don't think that's what it was. But these are my opinions. You don't have to agree with that. Maybe it was just coincidence. Regardless, while the son was still a long ways off, the Bible says, the father saw him and ran to meet him. My sister, when she moved to East Tennessee, was seven and a half hours away. I know about a mama and a daddy looking... <laughs> when she was coming home and we knew what time she was supposed to arrive. Some of you have children that have moved to other parts and when it's time for them to come home, whether it be Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever it may be, you know when the flight's supposed to land, you know when the car is supposed to be home, and you're longing to see them, right? To, to welcome them back into the house. This was a father whose son had gone away living in error, living riotously, not righteously, but riotously, very sinfully. And the father was longing for his return. Who do you see in that story when you read it? Do you see yourself as the father waiting for a child? Do you see yourself as the other sibling that's now angry because your, your brother has come back home? Or do we ever see ourselves perhaps as, as the, the prodigal coming back to our Savior? 
Of course, then there's the reaction. The reaction in verses 25 through 32, the reaction of the father, the forgiveness and the love and the compassion, the reaction of the brother, the anger and the bitterness and the reaction of the son, the, the overwhelming gratitude that his father has welcomed him back in. And, and I wonder, which do we see in ourselves? I never really thought about this before until thinking about the lesson for tonight, but the one thing that all three of these accounts have in common is that the item, the, the object, was lost and its owner or its master or its father was diligently seeking its safe return. Do you see the analogy to us today? According to the Bible, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We're all outside of, of hope. None of us are, are good enough to merit heaven on our own regards or through our own works. We're all lost or were once lost. And we have this Father who is seeking to save us, longing to bring us home, longing to find us as the one lost sheep, longing to find us as the one lost coin, longing to welcome us back as the prodigal son. Do you see yourself in that regard in Luke chapter 15? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I'd never thought about myself in Luke 15 as any of the three items that were lost. But if the Bible's true... And we all assume that it is. We wouldn't be here otherwise, right? If the Bible's true, the Bible says that each one of us at some point in our lives have been the item that was lost needing someone to save us. And that's who Jesus is. That's the reason why he came to the earth. And so that kind of answers number two, doesn't it? Why did my Savior come to earth? I'll take a line from Tyler from this morning. I'm not going to sing that song for you. But we know that song. Why did my Savior come? Come to earth. Well, there's three different explanations here from Scripture. I know there's more than this, and you could go in a variety of directions, but I want us to look briefly at these three. Uh, the first of those, taken from Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11, is that Jesus came to earth to save that which was lost. Some of the, the newer um, translations, uh, the New American Standard, I think maybe even the ESV, omit verse 11 from Matthew chapter 18. There's some debate about whether or not it was actually included in the original manuscript. It's pulled over from Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 in the translations that do include uh, verse number 11 in chapter 18. It's scriptural uh, either way, whatever the debate may go on that, because we do know the purpose that Jesus came to the earth was to save that which was lost. But I think it's interesting if you back up before verse 11, and you look in verse 1, the passage that Garrett read for us earlier tonight, the discussion that was taking place before the statement was made that Jesus came to save the lost. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so it prompts the discussion about the importance of humility. In verse 6, as you keep reading, Jesus explains to them that, that it's not about being the greatest, but as Garrett read, it's about being like a child. In verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Why? Why would that be better? Why is Jesus so concerned about someone leading astray one who has come to be a follower of him. Because that person is, is, is contradicting, is hurting the very reason that Christ came to earth. And the Lord goes on in verses 12 through 14 and says, well, what do you think? 
If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. And even so, it is the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. And the discussion continues on. And in verse 21, that's where Peter asks the questions, How many times should I forgive my brother? And of course, you know he's told up to 70 times 7. And church, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many verses there in chapter 18 are devoted to the need and the desire to make sure that if there's one that's lost, that he should be saved? The passage there explaining how many times that Peter should forgive his brother. Why? Because you don't want to alienate that brother and leave him outside of the body of Christ. Or you don't want Peter to be lost because of the hatred that he has in his heart towards a brother. Why do you think that is? Because it contradicts, it goes against, it hinders the mission of our Lord and Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. <clears throat> we had Little League basketball games at Sedalia yesterday. And I was sweeping the floor and letting the goals up and down and getting ready to have the games. And behind the stage, there's a box that miscellaneous items are placed in. You know what that box is called? Y'all do. Somebody say it. What's that box called? Lost in what? found right not lost and waiting for the trash man <laughs> it's lost and why do we leave that stuff hanging around at the school because it, it it starts out the year as an, an empty box and by, by christmas I, I hadn't noticed it saturday it was almost as tall as i was and, and someday before the year's over they'll have it all spread out on the bleachers and last year we got two new jackets out of that we thought they were ours and found out later that they weren't ours we just had ours hanging up in the wrong place had to take them back to lost and found they were found but not by the right people I guess that puts us like thieves. We, we returned them, so we put them back in the lost and found. But it, th those were items that are lost. We know they're lost, and we have them there, hopeful that someone will find them. It's like some Luke 15 stuff, where we don't want those items to be permanently lost. And there's some child somewhere that has a parent somewhere wanting to know the whereabouts of the items that are in that box. Why so much fuss? Because it's something we care about. We want to make sure that it's found. Again, church, I ask the question, how much more valuable should a soul be than a mitten or a scarf or a... We spend time designating those items as lost, those items as needing to be found, and do we gloss over the souls? My Savior came to earth, letter B, not to destroy men's lives, but to save them, if you're still open in Luke 15, flip back a couple of chapters to chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Jesus came not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I love this passage. I, I told, uh, I guess it was maybe the teens uh, uh, a while back. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was the auditorium class. That there's a lot of passages that I say is my favorite verse in the Bible. This is a section of, of Scripture. These are my favorite verses in the Bible. And the reason why I say that so often is because there's so many passages that I, that I read it and like I could see myself saying something like that. Or I've got friends that, yep, I could see one of my friends saying something 
like this. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56, we, we see that. We have James and John saying something that it's like, yeah, I've got friends and I could, I could picture them saying something like this. Read it with me here. Verse 51, it came to pass when the time had come for, for Jesus to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, watch it here, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I don't know why. I just love those verses. The sons of thunder, they were called, right? They go into the, the village. They go into this town, and Jesus is there, and they don't, the town doesn't receive uh, Jesus. Bring it to today's times. You go on a missionary journey. You try to, to, to take Jesus to a group of people. You try to have a, a Bible study with someone, and they don't receive you at all. What, what, should we, what should we do? They don't receive Jesus. And so James and John said, and this is the part that just amazes me and, and, and makes me laugh. They said, hey, 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 Jesus. You might not know this, but we can call down fire from heaven. <laughs> Did they forget who they were talking to? Uh, they went to the Lord and said, we can call down, we can destroy this village if you want us to. They didn't understand the mission, did they? Jesus, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. Church, I'm afraid sometimes in our efforts to seek and to save the lost, we get a little bit like James and John did here. If they won't hear us, if they won't listen to us, if they won't study with us, if they won't, maybe they should just be destroyed. No show of hands on this one, but have you ever found yourself thinking, well, they got what they deserved? Good enough for them. Church, Jesus said, that wasn't my purpose for coming. If you're going to be a follower of me, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, uh, we don't want to destroy the village. We, we want to save the village. I don't want to destroy those people who just rejected me. I want to save those people who just rejected me. And the scary part, again, I go back to Luke 15, we find ourselves so often in the position of James and John, glory are us, and we forget that we were those people who rejected the Lord. We were those people who needed a Savior. And, and I'm so thankful that James and John wasn't there to destroy me, but that Jesus rather was there to save me. Aren't you? Don't destroy their village. The Lord came to, to save them. Let her see, why did my Savior come to earth? To seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, it's the story of, of Zacchaeus. And, and again, I, I have sung this one with our KFC kids. We're not going to sing it tonight. But Zacchaeus, the wee little man that climbed up in the tree, wanted to see the Savior. He longed to see the Savior. He was trying to find the Savior. And you know what's amazing, church? Zacchaeus wanted to see the Savior. But you know who the Savior wanted to see? Oh, come on, y'all know that one. Who did the Savior want to see? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was seeking the Savior, but the Savior was also seeking Zacchaeus. Why? Because Zacchaeus needed a Savior. 
Does that not give you chills? Because the same thing applies to Michael, and it applies to Amber, and to Jeff, and to Tyler. I mean, go around the auditorium tonight. You're seeking Jesus. Have you ever given thought to this? Jesus is seeking you. <laughs> the Bible says he came to seek and save the lost. When you were outside of Christ, or tonight, if you find yourself outside of Christ, Jesus wants you. And so just as Zacchaeus went to do all that he could to see the Savior, when the Savior saw Zacchaeus, he said, come down. And he went to Zacchaeus' house. He came to seek and to save the lost. Church, you and I are told today in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 to seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to us. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Number three on your outlines tonight. You and I need to understand that without Jesus, we are lost. We need to understand that without Jesus, we are lost. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that verse. But what about 17 and 18? Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't need to do that. The world was already condemned before. But rather, Jesus came to offer us the hope of an eternity in heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul goes on to say, of whom I am chief. We need to come face to face with the reality that without Jesus, you and I are lost. Church, if we don't recognize that, we sometimes might find ourselves, letter A, in, in, in losing ourselves, thinking about our, our, our greatness. And I put it in air quotes there because I don't think any of us are boastful enough or proud enough to go out here talking about how great we are. I've never overheard a conversation like that. I, I, I guess that we're to be commended for that. I've never gone into the back and fellows be out there around the table as they sometimes gather before church and we talk about miscellaneous things. Y'all solved a lot of the problems out there in the back foyer. But I've never gone out there and heard y'all having an argument about whichever one of you is the greatest at the church. I've never heard that conversation. Either you either shut it down when, when I come up or we, no one's ever been into that problem that I've witnessed here where there's an argument about who's the greatest in the church. But, but could we lose ourselves in that line of thinking? Maybe not in thinking that we're the greatest, but maybe forgetting that we need a Savior. Forgetting that we're on our own merits no better than the one that's not at church. On our own merits no better than the one that is lost. You and I need to be careful not to lose ourselves into thinking about our, our greatness. Luke chapter 12 has a great parable about the man that's often labeled as the rich fool. You remember that fella? Had a great harvest that year, bumper crop, and as he got ready to sit down in the recliner for the night, and I assume he had Monday night football <laughs> turned on the TV, but he sat back and he relaxed, and he said, oh, we've got many great things, paraphrase it all. What did he say? He said, oh, I've, we're going to have to tear these barns down, and I'm going to have to build more, and I'm going to have to big, big, build bigger, and, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
thought he was greater than he was, didn't he? You and I need to make sure we don't lose ourselves thinking about our, our greatness. Letter B, you and I need to make sure that we don't lose ourselves with frustrations about those who are unreceptive. Again, it goes back to Luke 9, verse 54. James and John were so upset at the village for not accepting Jesus that they were ready to burn the place down. We're told in the Great Commission to go into all the nations teaching and preaching. We can't force repentance. We can't force obedience. We can't force baptism. It wouldn't, it wouldn't serve the purpose. You and I need to not lose ourselves with frustrations about those who are unreceptive. And let her see, you and I need to make sure that we don't lose ourselves waiting for others to go find the Savior themselves. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, Paul speaking here, says that he served the Lord with humility through tears and trials and did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul went everywhere that he could, teaching and preaching public, privately, house to house, the message of repentance, that it wasn't okay to continue in the type of sin that you were living, but that you had to change. And Tyler, you're not normally here when I preach, but you're here tonight, so I'm going to embarrass you because I usually get to this point at almost every sermon. But that's exactly what your preacher's been doing for almost a year now, going from house to house, preaching and teaching, and having Bible studies with those that were impacted from the tornado. And Joel and Marty and the ones that have helped with the, the tiny homes and the things that we've done to outreach, preaching the message of repentance, the message of the need for a Savior, the message that, that we can't get to heaven on our own. But these are things that Paul said that, that he did. Church, you and I can't decide that, well, these people know that we're here. I mean, we've got a sign, it's lit up. What more am I supposed to do? If they want a Savior, they know where we're at. They can come to us. Is that what you see Jesus doing in the Bible? Is that what you see Paul doing in the Bible? They went publicly and from house to house, seeking and saving the lost. What can I do in 2022? Or you know, the New Year's coming up. It's a great time for New Year's resolutions. What can I do in 2023 to help Jesus accomplish his mission? If he came to earth to seek and to save the lost, what can I do to help seek and save the lost? Number four. This is probably the one that hits closest home to me. Can my failing to seek, that's your first blank there, seek, can my failing to seek the lost result in my being lost? Can my failing to seek the lost result in my being lost? Is that one of our weaknesses today? Is that something that's missing out of my Christian life? Am I carrying out the Great Commission? What have I done? And take an inventory of yourself. If you're here tonight and you're a faithful Christian, you've been baptized in the blood of the Lamb for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're a faithful child of God and you're living the best Christian life that you can live, and you have no need of repentance tonight, and there's no reason for you to respond to the invitation tonight because you're doing all the things you're supposed to do, and you're leaving off all the things that you're not supposed to do, may I direct your attention to the Great Commission tonight? Can I direct your attention to, to seeking and saving the lost? And take a self-inventory. I don't know what you've done. Have you done anything this week to try to bring someone else to Christ? Have you done anything this, this month? Have you done anything this this year because there's so many things as you go into the new year that we can do and these goals and these milestones and and everybody 
first of the year is going to lose weight. We're going to join a, a gym membership and we're going to eat healthier. And I've done that every year for the last several years. And I usually make it until about the third or fourth of January, not the third or fourth month. It doesn't last very long. And, and I don't think about it until I stop and self-reflect and try to take an account of why the number on the scale is not going down. Or I'm going to read my Bible through in a year, and it's March, and I'm still in the fifth chapter of Genesis, and I can't figure out why this... And so I go back and I do a self, what have I done to achieve that goal? And so if the goal of the Savior, if the mission of the Savior is to seek and to save the lost, and we want to carry that out ourselves... Church, take a self-inventory. What, what have I done in the last week, in the last month, in this last year to reach out to others to seek and to save the lost? Not that I have the power to save. Not that you have the power to save. But what have I done to bring others to Jesus? Letter A, Jesus the seeker was the son of man. He himself has suffered, according to Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18, verse 18. He himself has suffered when tempted. Therefore, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, the seeker, knows the, the, the trials of man. Letter B, you and I, as we try to seek the lost, <laughs> need to make sure we don't burn the village. We need to make sure that we don't attack those who, who turn away. We need to make sure that we go to the next place that we're needed. That we don't stop. That we don't become angry. That we don't do more harm than we do good for the cause of Christ. But rather that you and I continue to go from place to place trying to find those that are in need and that are seeking a Savior. And finally, let her see. Not to be discouraged, but to understand that all you and I can do is to plant and to water, and to let God give the increase. All we can do is plant and water, and God will be the one to give the increase. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-8, through 8, Paul says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Church, the invitation tonight is twofold. Number one, if you're here tonight as one that sees yourself as being lost, that needs a Savior, know that, that Jesus is seeking you tonight. If you've never put on Christ in baptism for the mission of your sins, and you know that that's what you need to do, the baptistry is ready, we could take care of that tonight. If you're here tonight as one that needs to have some studies and would like to, to learn more about what's required of, of one to be found faithful in the sight of God, that can, can take place as well. But if you're here tonight as one that's put on Christ in the past, are, are you carrying out the mission of your Lord and Savior? Are you doing all that you can do to help to seek and to save the lost? If there's some change you need to make in your life tonight, we'd help you in any way that we can. If you'd only come while we stand and while we sing. against the lie for sin